Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, as always, it's me, Joe Donoghue, here to, to take you through the ups and downs of under-23 football around the world. Um, I'd just like to start by saying thank you to, to everybody who has who signed up to and, and subscribed to the Scouted Football Handbook since the launch of Volume 8 earlier this month. Um, it is hugely appreciated and makes all the fine work that we do worthwhile. Um, it certainly makes the man hours worthwhile, that's for sure. Um, and definitely so for, for our man uh, at the depot, Tom Curran, uh, our scouted founder. Uh, he puts in some serious man hours there. Um, you're spending his days and nights, uh, weekends and evenings, packing everybody's orders and, and dealing with all the, the different queries um, and, and shipping them off to, to all corners of the globe. Um, unfortunately, uh, I, I was supposed to, to get down there to, to give Tom a hand very recently, but due to the, the UK's lockdown restrictions, we, we decided that may not be the wisest choice. So, uh, Tom, I know you're listening. Uh, this is me setting in stone or, or on the airwaves rather that, um, my promise to you and, and I owe you, if you will, uh, of one weekend of, of book packing at, at Scouted HQ. Um, but just before we, we, we start today's podcast, um, which will be on um, some players in EFL, um, I think it's only right that we address, you know, the, some of the, the biggest news and, and the saddest news um, in the world of football uh, for, for quite some time. And that is the, the passing of, of Diego Maradona. Lee, you're, you're joining me today uh, on, on the podcast, and I think you'll agree with me in, in saying that, uh, you know, Diego Maradona was, was a player that inspired generations worth of people um in you know he he embodied the love for the game playing it with his own sort of childlike merriment and and you know prioritizing his own enjoyment on the pitch over over anything else and you know that was reflected um he's just been you know he, he's a you know a bastion of culture football politics um and yeah it's it's an incredibly sad day sad time for football um, but I just wanted to ask you, sort of as a as a little introduction, you know, do you have any memories of of uh, Diego Maradona, or what what sticks out for you? My my only actual memories of Maradona as a player were towards the very end of his career when he he made comebacks in World Cups that perhaps were ill advised, and he he wasn't the same player anymore. His peak in, in Serie A and Napoli in particular came. Just a couple of two, three years before my my memory of football, if you like, really starts to kick in. But I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Joe, when you said that he played football in his own way. That he played with with style, with flair, with creativity. And this was in an era where some of the challenges that he faced on a game by game basis would go down as assault today. Not just a foul, yeah. not just a free kick. You could actually get jail time and police interest for some of the tackles that happened back in the late 80s, especially in Serie A. But I think that really to encapsulate what Maradona means in a footballing sense, all you have to do uh, now that he has passed, sadly, is look at the outpouring of grief and emotion, not just in Argentina, where of course he was a, a national legend, but in Naples, um, the city that, that really captured him, if you like, and he captured it and the two Maradona and Naples is just a, a partnership that that makes sense in so many different cultural levels, and you can see exactly what he still meant, even at sixty years of age. He still meant the absolute world to the people in, in Naples, and it's it's extremely sad that he's passed away. I mean, we we can talk all day about his on-field ability. I think that everybody knows that off the field he had his demons. That's perhaps by the by now. I mean, people have these things happen in their lives, and. The, the joy that Maradona brought to people when he played in the football pitch, I think, just speaks for itself. 
Yeah, there was a there was a very um, touching tribute. I mean, as there have been everywhere, um, and and that really should be the only thing that that people have to say in, 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 at moments like this, um, you know. But there, there was a really touching tribute. I think it was in the New York Times. It might have been Rory Smith. Um, apologies if it was somebody else, and, and I've got it wrong. But um, there, there was a lovely quote where, which said that you know the, the darkness that punctuated his life um, was 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 what sharpened the contours of yeah. his light. Yeah. Um, and I think that that perfectly encapsulates the man, the person um, who has who has inspired so many. You know, we see so many, so many footballers who have you know um, credited Maradona for for their for their love of the game. You know, many of those South American, many Argentinian. I know that um, Stuttgart's Santiago Ascasibar has a Diego Maradona tattoo. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 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 so many so many examples, and and the outpouring is is everything that you would expect. Lee, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but um, Asif Kapadia's uh, documentary, Diego Maradona, um, which if you're in the UK will be uh, free to stream on Channel 4, uh, is is an absolutely incredible film, uh, an outstanding, outstanding piece of, of just brilliant documentation of an absolutely brilliant player's life and times at, at, uh, at Napoli. Um, and that that is, is something that I'd urge everybody to, to watch if, if they possibly can, um, because it is just a... It, it truly encapsulates a, a, an incredible time um, in in one incredible player's life. What have we got today? Well, I mean, it's 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 a lot closer to home than many of our previous pods. Um, the English Football League. Um, we've we've discussed uh, Lee and I. Uh, we've discussed uh, Europa League contestants, um, as, as well as Denmark, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Um, but the EFL will will be close to many people's hearts. Uh, of course, that being the Championship, League One and League Two in England. Um, but we're we, yeah we're back in the UK with this one, uh, and obviously with the man himself, Lee Scott. Um, and and bef- since the last time that we spoke, Lee, um, you and I have probably been jumping for joy at a certain penalty shootout victory. <laughs> I think a little bit. I think that um, you're obviously talking about the fact that Scotland have qualified for a major tournament for the first time in in well longer than I care to admit, and it was a really impressive performance. I think. I think that. As a Scotsman, we're used to Scotland failing, but we're used to Scotland failing in ways that tend to be spectacular. There's been glorious failure, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, th- there's been playoff defeats when they didn't deserve to lose. They've been eliminated from major tournaments because another team scored a goal in the last game, and goal difference has knocked them out. It's the Scottish way, and I have to admit that when Luka Jovic scored that header in the 90th minute for Serbia, I kind of thought that was where we were heading again. But mm-hmm. on a personal level, it was really nice because my, my wife and I had our two oldest children downstairs watching the game with us, despite the fact that it was on a school night. And It was nice for them to see a sporting achievement from Scotland and not just failure, if you like, because, full disclosure, we are, our family are all Aberdeen fans. Aberdeen don't get a lot of glory. My oldest son is a, a diehard Manchester United fan for some reason, nothing to do with me. But, <laughs> but his his fandom has come at the wrong time because his fandom has come post Sir Alex Ferguson when 
Manchester United obviously haven't been as successful as they once were. So it was just nice, I think. And I think the outpouring of emotion for the whole nation of Scotland after that game was, was really something. I think if any of our listeners haven't seen it, go and Google Ryan Christie post-match interview and just watch what it meant to the players. I think that that really encapsulates and, and tells you everything. Yeah, it was the it was the moment where um, uh, Ryan Christie mid-interview just goes uh, something like, "Oh God!" Yeah, <laughs> puts yeah. his hands to his head, and you think that's you know that's that's twenty two, twenty three years of just pent up strife and glorious failure, as you said, that were just being expelled from from Scottish football psyche. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the same with you. I mean, you know, the the I I haven't I have. I, Full disclosure, uh, I have never seen Scotland at, at a major tournament. Um, that just uh, depresses me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, it was uh, I, I was born three days after Scotland's ah, last appearance, there you go. Uh, which obviously was uh, a lovely little 3-0 defeat to, to Morocco yes. at France 98. Um, but yeah, I think you know the, just the way that the players all got together. And I think one of the things I absolutely loved was uh, the videos that came out afterwards uh, of, of the team, clearly in a hotel somewhere in Belgrade, having a bit of a boogie, having a bit of a woogie, and, you know, a dance around the table, um, singing uh, the Davy Marshall song, uh, as it will now be known forever. Um, <laughs> and even Ollie McBurney, in a now since deleted tweet, um, was clearly having a little bit of fun on, on Twitter, calling um, Michael Stewart uh, a certain name, which won't be repeated. Um, but I think, um, you know, sort of, Retaliating to some of the, the 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 criticisms that he's 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 had in 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 the past, and to be honest, he didn't have a very good game against Serbia, but he is now part of a squad that's going to a major tournament. So, you know. Anyway, uh, right, enough enough of our own selfish indulging in in Scotland's first major tournament qualification uh, since 1998. Um, you know, it's only a once in a lifetime occurrence for some. <laughs> um, but yeah, today's today's podcast episode uh, is, is on the EFL, home to 72 of the, the finest football clubs England ever did see. Um, I, I think just just on a starting point with with the EFL, I think every year we forget just how many top top players have have cut their teeth at the, the second, third, and fourth tiers of English football be- before becoming you know Premier League mainstays. Um, I don't know about you, Lee, but is there a particular one that sticks out maybe from this season or a few seasons past? This season, my my favourite player, do you mean players that moved into the Premier League from the EFL or, or moved to bigger things? Because the the one that really stands out to me this season is Ebenezer Easy, who's obviously gone from QPR to Crystal Palace. And we haven't seen the best of him yet in the Premier League, and that's partly because we haven't seen the best of Crystal Palace because they, they sometimes fail to remember they're allowed to attack as well. But once we see Ezzy in full flight in the Premier League, people who haven't seen him play properly will love him because he's such a, a dynamic force in terms of ball carrying creativity. I think that he's the one that steps out. That's, that's of course, until Saeed Ben Rama starts to really fire on all cylinders for, for West Ham after his move from Brentford. I think that those two really stand out for me this season. What about you? Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I actually went through uh, the, the sort of the Premier League squad lists and, um, and and had a look down. And for some reason, I've overlooked Eze and Ben Rama. Um, mainly, I think it's probably because they're very new additions to the Premier League. But, you know, you look at the likes of 
Um, I, I mean, I'd say one that sticks out is probably, you know, Harry Maguire with him being at, at Sheffield United and Hull and having loan spells at Wigan and that sort of thing. You know, he's really done the rounds. Um, you know, Jack Grealish, who who made his league debut at Notts County in League One. Um, you know, Harry Kane was at uh, Leighton Orient. That's where he made his um, his English league football debut. Um, Dom Calvert-Lewin, uh, Ollie Watkins, of course, you know, because he is uh, he, he's been so, so good. Um, since since joining Aston Villa, and I mean, we didn't really expect anything less. But for him to have come from Exeter City in League Two, then up to Brentford in the Championship, and now playing again under Dean Smith with with Villa and playing well is is again a nice story. Um, but yeah, there's, there was quite a few that surprised me as well. Um, I didn't know that Ben Chilwell made his his league debut again, uh, for, for Huddersfield Town. Um, Danny Ings at Bournemouth in League One yeah. back in the day. Um, yeah, there was quite a few that, uh, yeah, James Tarkovsky, just looking at the notes now at, at, at Oldham Athletic in League One. So yeah, there's, there's, um, there's history, there's, there's previous for, for plenty of the, the, the big players in the Premier League um, having, having cut their teeth at that level. I think that's part of what makes the EFL so interesting though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the depth of the professional game in England and that's why so many people from outside of England really look on the English game with such affection because... It's not just about the top 20. It's not just about the Premier League. Every level down has got its narratives. It's got its players and coaches who are cutting their teeth and starting to to show great things. I think that there's always talent in the EFL. It's just a case of sometimes Premier League clubs overlook that talent and overlook that pipeline that's right on their doorstep because there's always a tendency from the Premier League to think that things abroad are shinier and nicer a left-footed playmaker who plays in France is better than a left-footed playmaker who plays at Rochdale. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's all about opportunity more than anything else for players to just be given a chance to show they're ready to play at a higher level. I think that we're we're shortly, in for whatever your political leanings are, for people listening to this podcast, like it or not, we're about to enter the, the era of Brexit in Britain. And the work permit regulations and the foreign player rules are going to come into place. Nobody still at this point in the recording at the end of November knows exactly what that looks like. But those those enforced rules on, on the Premier League clubs in particular are really going to have an impact. I think we might see again players, younger players in the, in the EFL getting a chance at Premier League level, which would at least be some small consolation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, simply because teams are going to have to make up those quotas because the you know workplace laws are going to change, and 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 yeah, it's 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 an it's an interesting time. It's a sliding doors moment, if you will. Um, but that's that's kind of one of the reasons why uh, on today's podcast we wanted to look at um, the, the players in the EFL because I think it deserves. I mean, it it does get a lot of uh, recognition as, as Lee was just saying, but I think it should get a lot more than it does. You know, it, it sometimes you know plays plays. Well, I mean, all the time plays second fiddle to the Premier League, but I think it would be very interesting to look to to do a study into you know the the. Um, the various attendances at second, third, and fourth tier levels in other major European countries, um, because you know you've got. I, th- I think the, the EFL is still pure in some way because it doesn't have the likes of the B teams from the top clubs, you know, punctuating the third and, and fourth tiers. I know we've kind of got that with the EFL trophy, um, which again has been, you know, the, the support for that has been reflected in the attendances. Um, but I think you know when when you've got sort of Bayern Munich's second team winning the third. Uh, third tier in Germany, yep. it it kind of just takes the shine off it a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I think it it, it does deserve it, its its recognition for for how long it's been going and and how many good players it's produced. Um, but that's why we're, we are we're discussing um, the EFL today. Uh, and and we myself and Lee we've decided to pick out four players each uh, to, to 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 talk about um, who this season or seasons before it's it's not exclusive um, have have caught our eye uh, and and could have made some 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 names for themselves already. Um, I don't know if, how you'd prefer to do this, Lee, but would you like to go with your four names first or do you want to parcel them out one by one? I think one by one. Let's just keep the suspense going a little bit. I think before we start, though, we should probably um, should probably acknowledge the fact, Joe, that you tried to cheat and that you actually had an, <laughs> an overage player in your list originally before you realised that and, and changed your mind. I, I think I that's important for scouted football listeners to know that the host of the podcast was trying to cheat. I have I double checked all of the ages of the players you you've chose now, so we're all good. They've been independently fact checked now, um, but yeah, I did. I, I I think it's only fair that we mention uh, the the one who was going to break the rules. But he is a fantastic um, player, to be fair. Exactly, yeah. Um, it, it it was Cameron Brannigan at, at Oxford, but he is unfortunately twenty four. And as everybody knows who follows Scouted Football and the Scouted Football podcast, that is sacrilege to discuss a player of such an <laughs> ancient age on. This podcast, um, it's twenty three and under, and them's the rules. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was going to be Cameron Brannigan, but fortunately, there's there's enough players to, to to pick from to to replace him. And my first reserve is is you know he's he's at the the beginning of his EFL career. I won't give too much away, um, but the first one on, on my list is is somebody who um, has has really taken uh, the 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 third tier League One by storm this season. Um, and not perhaps not in the way that many would expect. Um, and to be to be perfectly honest, I have to give a shout out to my one whole city supporting friend Tyler, who, to his credit, has been banging on about Keen Lewis Potter for longer than I care to remember. Um, probably for as long as I've known him, uh, because you know the, the Hull had Jared Bowen, uh, and he was he, you know he came from Hereford, I think it was, uh, and and was you know really came through the the club's academy at, at the KC. Um, and, and we didn't mention Jared Bowen on this podcast before he turned 24. So <laughs> it's only fair we give a little bit of Humberside some recognition this time around. But Keen Lewis Potter, you know, 19 years old, uh, a wide forward, um, has done really well, uh, scored five goals in his first 10 games at that level um, after sort of coming through uh, last season in in, an, in a very poor whole side after they lost um, Grosicki and, and, and Bowen in January. Um, I think they earned something like nine points out of 60 on their way to being relegated. Um, but just to, to, to highlight how far he's come um, so far is the, just over a year ago, um, he was he was on loan at Bradford Park Avenue, who are a National League North team, um, who for any non-UK listeners, uh, that is the sixth tier of English football. Um, so, you know, not exactly the highest standard, um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's really you know, gone up the gears in that sense. Um, and he's been doing very, very well. I, I, Lee, I don't know if you've seen anything of of, of KLP as he will uh, be known from this point forth, um, but he, he's been he's been brilliant. He's been excellent. I think um, I've, I've got a couple of metrics that I've pulled for uh, doing some research for this podcast. And he's played just over 800 minutes this season, but 0.5 goals per 90 from a 0.38 XG per 90. But even then, that only tells part of the story. It's the fact that he also takes more than two and a half shots a game. He has more than four dribbles a game, four touches in the opposition penalty area a game. 
all of these metrics together, when you start to look at them and then you look at the player, it all starts to build a picture of the player profile. And it's a, a player who plays predominantly at the left-hand side but is right-footed and likes to attack inside. He likes to collect possession and link with players, then make third-man runs in the space behind the defensive line. He's so technical. He's really neat on the ball. He's press-resistant. He's got a little bit of pace. And he's also got a little bit of niggle as well. He's one of these players who has got that aggressive streak that young players are sometimes missing when they first make the breakthrough in first-team football. But I just get the impression that he's somebody who has really benefited from the fact that when Jared Bowen left, in particular, Hull weren't in a position financially to go out and try to replace him like for like. So there was no doubt that he had talent. I know he's been highly rated in the Hull City system for a long time, but it's sometimes that catalyst of a player leaving and moving on that creates room for a young player to come through, and he's taken that chance for both hands. Yeah, so I mean, K- KLP has has been sort of profiled on on our Patreon uh, by Ollie Walker, and that's a fantastic insight into into his game. Um, some some video clips on there of him, um, pretty much all of his goals, um, you know, and 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 there's some fantastic analysis packed in there, and. Um, to, truth be told, I actually had uh, you know earmarked KLP for, for an EFL podcast um, uh, a little while ago, uh, but put it on the back burner uh, for the past few weeks. And then Ollie's piece popped up, and I thought that's a perfect um, perfect opportunity for me to sort of base my own assumptions and uh, own observations against you know somebody else who's, who's very much worth their salt in the in the football analysis game. Um, so I'd urge anyone who's who's subscribed to the Patreon to check that out. If you're not already, then I have to say it is a fantastic piece. Um, and and yeah, Ollie does some some good explaining of his of his goal and assist numbers, as as Lee just touched on there. You know, as as well as the different type of goals he scores. You know, he scored quite a few with his head. And despite being around five foot seven, five foot eight, you know that's you know that's a bit out of the ordinary. But it's because he has such good penalty box awareness. You know, yeah. he always you, you you can you can see him popping up in the spaces, um, sort of in very congested areas uh, where where the ball is going to drop. He, he always seems to know the spaces around him while keeping his focus on the ball, which is is I think you know one of those innate characteristics which is very difficult to teach. Um, and and more synonymous with sort of a penalty box striker, a number nine per se. Yeah. Um, but I think you know the, the fact that most of his goals have come with his head so far is is kind of a nod to that awareness. Um, and I think yeah, he, he's got as you mentioned, Lee, he's got very good speed. Um, you know, he, he's got a little bit of pace, good acceleration, can probably beat most League One fullbacks with that. Um, I do I do worry a little bit whether that would that would um match up against championship fullbacks and, and definitely against you know the, the most athletic of all the Premier League fullbacks um but you know that's not a problem for now all he has to do is sort of enjoy that he's he's playing regular football at, at a decent level in a team who are likely good to to get promoted or at least challenge um for promotion um this season uh, so, yeah, you know, he's, he's got few distractions. It's his hometown club. Um, the world's his oyster. And, and I think it's just uh, the whole the fans certainly uh, are enjoying having him in the team, as you would expect, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that he's a really such an interesting profile of player. It's something that I look for, especially in young attacking players, is that ability that you talked about to find pockets. Now, that could be pockets of space when... His team are building up with the ball from the back. Is he able to play on the blind side of his marker and find little spaces that he can receive the ball? But for Lewis Potter, it's his ability to find those pockets in the penalty area. You referenced the point that he scores so many headers. I've no idea how that happens. 
it, it was one of the first things that struck me when I started to look more closely before this podcast and I was doing some research that he has this uncanny ability that some players have that the ball seems to be attracted to him in the penalty area and he just always seems to be standing in the right place at the right time. And that's mm-hmm. something that may not be sustainable over the, the, the stretch of an entire career. It might be something that comes and goes. But while you're in form, that's a really, really important thing to have. And I think that your point about the, the athletic ability of Premier League pullbacks especially is, is definitely valid. He doesn't have the kind of pace that he's going to run past a, a Rhys James, for example. But that ability and that awareness and how to find little pockets of space is what will allow him to play at that level eventually, I think. That ability to be able to drift off of your marker just at the right time to create that five yards of separation because five yards at the top level in football is massive. And if he's able to receive the ball with a little bit of a cushion, then he can then play from there rather than always trying to be the one that makes the runs behind a Reese James who's obviously going to just make that same run and mirror you every day. So I think that he's got a lot of interesting abilities, if you like, a lot of interesting attributes. I think that there's certainly a player there. And if he can continue to develop and if Hull can continue to build their squad to get better players around him, particularly in the midfield, I think they'll really reap the benefits in the long run. Absolutely so. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll move on now just to, to your first pick. Um, but my second pick, it might end up being your one of your picks. Um, is, is it HP or have you gone for a different one? I chose a different one. I, we, we compared lists yesterday and we only had one player who was the same on both lists. So I, I was the bigger person and, and took the hint <laughs> and chose a different player. <laughs> okay then so we'll go with your different player first and then we'll come back to to to, to hp um uh, which is now going to be his code name forever because he, he, mr hp plays for crew alexandra and he certainly does have the sauce um <laughs> uh lee who's your who's your first pick uh, my first pick now just for um just for reference before i give you my first pick i haven't necessarily picked players that I believe firmly are going to play at the Premier League level. I've, I've picked young players who I think have got real development in them. I think that sometimes with young players, it's easy for people. And much as I always say to people when they ask for advice about player recruitment and, and how to go about formatting reports, I always say to them, make sure you have an opinion. So no matter what it is, at the end of a report, you have to have an opinion as to what you think this player's potential level is going to be. What I also say is, but if your opinion is wrong, own it. Don't worry about it because player development is so, it's not linear. It goes up and down, diagonally, backwards, goes everywhere. But this is a player, my first one, who I do think has the potential to eventually play in the Premier League, but probably at the lower end. And that's Luke Jeffcott, the, the young 20-year-old striker at Plymouth Argyle. Um, he's a really interesting player. He's somebody who popped out for me when I was doing some data analysis last season of the, the English lower leagues when I was doing a, a project for a club. Um, they were looking for a player with good shot numbers, good shot locations, a player who had the potential to develop into something else, which is really what he is. He's he's already in and about the, the Welsh under-21 squad. I think that he, he has the capacity to go on and make a senior international debut in the next couple of years for them because he's a player who just seems to be scoring goals. I mean, at the moment, it's a slightly smaller sample size than we had for Kim Lewis Potter. He's had a few injuries this year, but he's had 573 minutes. And in that time, he's scoring 0.94 goals per game. Now, his XG is much lower at 0.37, which shows that 
his shot locations are sometimes a little bit off. Sometimes he's still looking for the spectacular, and at the moment, those those shots tend to be going in. He's only taken just over two shots a game, which shows that again that his conversion is very good. But we still would need to see those shot numbers increase, and he's taken more than four touches in the opposition box a game. I think all of these things, when you add them together into a profile of a striker, they begin to give you a picture. Now, Plymouth Argyle at the moment, they, they tend to play a 3-5-2 system, so he plays as one of two strikers, and he tends to play as second striker. So moving forward from slightly deeper positions and being able to collect the ball in little pockets of space and then link the play before then making the delayed run beyond the defensive line when he's got a, a strike partner who tends to play up on top of the, the centre-backs, if you like. So he's somebody who I think can make the step up. I don't think he'll beat Plymouth Argyle for much longer. I think that if we keep going in terms of recruitment with current Brexit prices, obviously, the way we call them, but with transfer transfer prices being so affected by COVID, sorry, not Brexit, um, I think that we could see him move at least to the Championship next year. And from then, if he can continue with this kind of output, then the sky's probably the limit for him. Yeah, just a quick Google on on Jeffka as you know, it, it brings up quite a few different talking points. You know, the, the fact that he he hasn't gone to Plymouth because he fell out of a, a top level academy. You know, he's he's worked his way up from um, Wendron United and Helston Athletic, who I've never heard of. Um, but he's also been out on loan to Truro City um, in the in in the Southern League. So you know, there's there's parallels there to sort of KLP's. Um, development and in, in that you know he 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 spent some time in the in the lower lower leagues um and and really cut his teeth at that level um uh, the the player that I alluded to just earlier um with mr hp um is a player that that we've liked at scout for quite some time and clearly because we we crossed um we crossed our wires on this one earlier um and 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 in our preparations lee also rates um hp and uh, that's harry pickering um who has been a first team regular for crew alexandra over the past 3 maybe 4 seasons um and you know crew has its has its famous academy um you know it's produced premier league players in, in the past uh, danny murphy ashley westwood um seth johnson dean ashton uh, nick powell uh, in fact, if Dean Ashton wasn't there, you'd think that they only produce central midfielders. Um, but Pickering is a left back, uh, and he always seems to get into those dangerous areas down the sides of teams, um, which which I like, despite not being sort of the best dribbler in the world. Um, you know, I think he, he, his passing and crossing, I think his technique is is one of the best things about him. Um, you know, always finds teammates with with cutbacks, which, considering how many goals are scored that way, is is a really underrated skill. You know, I think in in itself, I think in in future we might see sort of um, an even more like deeper dive into the classification of how how assists are are um, are, are categorized. So, for example, in, in in like cutbacks, getting to the byline, you know, getting into that space between the edge of the box and the touchline, uh, and and being able to play the ball back to a player at the edge of the box. I think that we we might see that um, uh, an increased prevalence of people sort of looking at uh, at the players that constantly get into those positions and constantly um, cut the ball back to their teammates who, for them to score. Um, but you know, he's he's been in League Two for the past few years, but was taken to life in League One really well, um, and I think that step up. Has, has has come at the right time for him. Um, he's he's twenty one, twenty two years old. 
Uh, and and it's, I think it's very, very, very good for, for Harry Pickering because he's, he's developed at a very good club. He's got, I think, over, already over 100 um, appearances for crew. So he's, you know, he's he's well-schooled in sort of the, the EFL, some of the more rugged challenges, shall we say. Um, but he's, he's, he's a really talented player. What strikes me when you watch Harry Pickering play, just first of all, again, I was looking at some metrics and doing some, some due diligence before the podcast and the, the number that really stood out for me was that at the time of recording he is playing 13.83 progressive passes per 90. Now that basically tells you the, the style of fullback. He, he's not a player who progresses the ball through dribbling or through progressive runs. It's all about passes for him so he receives the ball. His first instinct is always to look for the pass forward, look for the vertical pass that breaks the lines of the opposition and that's where he is really creative in terms of helping through to build up the play. What I really, really like about Pickering is that he's not always going to do the same thing when he joins in and moves at the final third of the pitch when he's moving from deeper positions. You've touched upon the fact that he gets a lot of cutbacks, so he is capable of going round the outside of his winger and making that run back at the penalty area because Crew tends to play a 4-3-3 with attacking wide players. So he doesn't always go outside, though. If the, the winger is positioned on the line, Harry Pickering thinks nothing of making that inverted fullback run, so making that run down the half space in towards the penalty area, and that's where he quite often receives the ball. And that's when he's really dangerous because he's such a creative passer. He's capable of finding the runs of teammates who are running across their marker. He, he plays a lot of slip through balls, for example, towards the penalty area that, that can be capitalised on. And he is just such an intelligent football player. I think that Obviously, you touched upon the fact that crew are so interesting when it comes to the development of young players. I think that Harry Pickering is somebody who they're not going to be able to hold on to for much longer. I think the hype and the buzz is starting to, to grow to the point where if he's still there after the next summer transfer window, I would be extremely, extremely surprised. Yeah, likewise. I mean, I think the experience that he's had will, will obviously stand him in good stead as he goes up the leagues. But I think it's more of a, a when rather than if he moves up the leagues because, you know, he, he, he does, as you say, I think it's important that you make that discernment that he's not just a, a, a typecast player, a typecast fullback who's going to go down the line. You know, he's happy cutting in. And I think with that, you know, with that... um with positions becoming less rigid and structured in the modern game, you know, there's the scope to say that he could be in sort of the play a similar role to what Reese James did at, at, at Wigan, where he he deputised between uh, defensive midfield and, and right back, you know, because he has that technique and that ability to to play passes, especially those progressive passes that you just mentioned. Um, you know, he I, the the one thing that always stuck out to me, it, it always does with every player, is whether he's got excellent technique. And I think the fact that he's he's been very good from from dead ball situations, yeah. um, it speaks volumes as well. You know, the, the team trust him to deliver um, high quality chances. Um, you know, it, it does help that, you know, a lot of his chances that he creates do come from set pieces um, because crew do have some big guys to aim at. I think, you know, they've got Charlie Kirk, Dan Powell and, and Mikkel Mandron, um, who are all six foot one or taller. So, you know, the, the, there's, there's some heads to aim at there. But never, like, nevertheless, you know, he's still got to put it on their heads or, or make sure it falls at their feet. And the fact that he's, you know, as you as you, we were both saying, you know, he's not a prolific dribbler, but he's very happy to make those forward runs, very happy to make yep. those passes that will break that first line. And I think that's becoming more and more important. Um, and it's becoming more and more valued um, rather than sort of the, 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 the core defensive um, metrics that you might sort of 
focus on when you're when you're scouting for a defender you know it's no fluke that that he's done so well and I think he's got three goals already this season um in league one um and he's averaging um a similar number of of, of chances created uh, as he did in league two so you know the the, the the scope for him to continue improving is definitely there. Um, Lee, have you got uh, a, a second pick from from your list? I'm I'm very excited to if if you're going off the the list that you sent me uh, in order, I'm very excited to, to hear this one. Who did I have next in the list? I can't remember. Um, this was actually a player who uh, has really popped out this season for me. When you work in recruitment within football at various levels. One of the things, one of the tips that I would I would give people that are listening that are interested in breaking into that is to keep an eye on players who are making them break through first team level at a young age. Now that's obvious to say when an eighteen year old's making their debut at the Premier League level, you know that there's talent. But the same thing applies further down the, the football pyramid. So if a player in League One or League Two is 17 or 18 or even 16 and making their, their breakthrough first-team football, then they're worth due, due diligence on and having a look at. Um, look, for example, at Luke Matheson, who obviously made the, the breakthrough at Rochdale when he was still a schoolboy, then earned the move to Wolves and is currently in their system. He's, he's a really interesting um, case, just to, to prove that point. And this is a player who, who did similar. He's made the breakthrough this season for Bradford City, and his name is Rhys Staunton. He's an 18-year-old central defender who is built like the proverbial brick outhouse. He, he is huge. <laughs> I have him marked down. Um, again, just, just another little tip for people who are listening. If you're looking to do any scout reports and want them to get noticed by clubs, it's something that I never realised until, until I started doing work for clubs. But Managers, coaches, directors of football, scouts are absolutely obsessed with player height. Um, I never understood it. I remember the first time I was asked specifically about player height in a report, and I thought, obviously, that I knew better, and I knew which analytics and which metrics were more important than player's height. And, of course, a player's height doesn't matter. But since then, I've come to realise that in professional football, everybody's obsessed with how tall a player is. Um, so I always mark down when I'm doing these little notes how tall a player is. He's currently 186 centimetres he's listed at. So he is a, a large human being, all very muscular build as well, and he's left-footed. So the, the new 18-year-old left-footed centre-back at Bradford City really, really caught my eye. What really impressed me about him in the possession phase was that he's trusted by his teammates to be the player who progresses the ball. Bradford play a back three almost all the time, either three four one two or three five two, and quite often it will be Staunton either on the left hand side or even occasionally in the centre of that back three. And he's the one who receives the ball in the build up phase and then looks to play the progressive pass. So we talked about Harry Pickering's progressive passes of thirteen point eight three, which as I said were really impressive for a fullback. Staunton is currently averaging in lead two thirteen point six progressive passes to the final third which just shows that he's the player who's breaking the lines of the opposition for Bradford City. Um, at the moment, there are still aspects of his game that are raw. At times, he can still dwell on the ball a little bit while he's getting closed down because he's looking for that progressive pass all the time and he doesn't just get rid, if you like. Um, in the defensive phase, he's obviously built, so he's able to to really duel in terms of on-the-ground duels and aerial duels. He has really good success rates. He's still a little bit raw when he's pulled out wide and isolated against quick attacking players. He doesn't quite turn his hips quick enough sometimes to recover ground behind him. But that's something that a young centre-back will develop in. And if you think about the fact that a 
a centre back even at twenty four is still considered young and Staunton mm-hmm. six years away from that at the moment. His development and his trajectory is going to be massive. I think he'll continue to develop. You look at likes of Jared Braithwaite, who obviously made the breakthrough at a similar age at Carlisle before moving to Everton. There's absolutely no reason for me that, that Staunton couldn't do the same thing. Full disclosure, uh, the, what the person that I was, the player that I was saying, if it was on your list uh, that I was very excited about, uh, was actually not Staunton. But having said that, um, he is a player that I hadn't come across yet. Um, I can't say that I watch an awful lot of League Two football. <laughs> Nobody um, does, let's face it. Well, especially not with the, the farce that is I follow sometimes, I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, I hadn't come across Staunton before, but I mean those I mean, those progressive pass numbers, you know, you do sort of look at and think, right, okay, that is something per game. You have to think how many how many times a player gets on the ball yeah, exactly. in every game. And to think that, that if for a centre half, depending on whether you're in a possession heavy team or not, that's thirteen times to make successful passes into the final third. Yeah. That's one in four, one in three. You know, for for a team who who enjoy an average amount of possession, yeah. um, and that's that's I mean that's quite it's quite ballsy to be perfectly honest for, <laughs> for a player who's who's eighteen years old, you know, to to be trying that because it would be very easy for the manager to go well he keeps trying to play the ball forward he keeps losing it and we're we're you know we're up against it every yeah, time exactly. but if exactly. if he's doing if he's doing it well then you know fair play to him um, yeah. and it's interesting what you said about player height um, because that was something that again to me was. Which is something that I just thought, well, it's just it's it's a fact, but it's yeah, it's not exactly. something that's, that's going to matter, is it? But no, apparently, no. You're right, yeah. It's it's bizarre. I've I never I never really. I mean, we we all know that I I coach kids football, and I always say to the kids that I coach that it doesn't matter how tall you are, you'll play in different positions. So I'll have my shortest person playing in defence from time to time, just because you never know how kids are going to develop. And, I've always looked at height as being something that didn't really matter, apart from an aerial point of view when defending corners. But, but coaches love to know how tall a player is and whether they're left-footed or right-footed. That, that's always been in all of the opposition reports that I've ever done. It's always had player height, player player footedness, whether they go up for corners, all these little details. And it's just a small thing. It's something, again, that, that people people who write from an analysis point of view and have their own blog or write for a website or like to share threads on Twitter, just put that little detail in there. Just put their height in there. It might not mean anything to you, but to the person working for the professional club who's then reading that, they're going to recognize that you're detail-orientated and it might give you a little bit more exposure, which is always a good thing. Um, Just to go back to Staunton just quickly, when we talk about, I mean, I've referenced a couple of different metrics for the players that we've talked about, and the way that we use them, it's not, I mean, data is so incredibly important. I love data, and I love using data in my, my work, but these things are an indicator. They're, they're a highlight. They're, they're a point of difference that makes you think, well, that's strange. I'm going to have to go and have a look at that player. So the data itself is never enough. We always have to then back it up through video. So you're looking at for example, you can look on Y Scout, you can look at players in League Two, central defenders who filter by progressive passes or passes in the final third, and restarting will jump out. But as soon as you see a player at that age who's jumping out with any of these metrics that interest you, progressive passes was one for central defenders that I really started using a couple of years ago when Takahiro Tomiyasu, who's now at Bologna, was at St. Truden in Belgium. 
and he was a player who I'd never heard of before. I did a quick data check in Belgium, and his progressive pass numbers were huge. And since then, I've always had that as part of the profile central defenders I look for. So it was really interesting to me that Rhys Staunton is standing out so much at 18. Well, there you go. There's some tips of the trade from from Lee. Um, I mean, I'm, and I echo that completely. You know, a lot of what I've learned myself about sort of football analysis and that sort of thing has been has been has been garnered from from blogs of people that that I've followed on Twitter that I've that, I've, that I respect a, a great deal. Um, and you know, the the story of of, of Ashwin Raman, um, you know, uh, who who works obviously as you know, Lee at um, at Dundee United uh, as an opposition analyst. Uh, sorry, as a recruitment analyst. Um, you know, he just from blogging and and uh, uh, that's end up with him um, getting a position in in the in the job that he probably never thought he'd he'd get just from blogging. But exactly. yeah, it, it's um it, it's 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 a very good story, and if you haven't, um, definitely do check check that one out. Um, but back to back to the EFL and and um uh, onto my my third pick, and this this was the player that that came in as first reserve. Um, so if he never plays a minute of professional football ever again, then you can blame Lee for saying that I wasn't allowed Cameron Brannigan. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 a Brighton loney um, spending some time um, with AFC Wimbledon this year. Uh, Ryan Longman, um, and and I have no doubts it's a club that that Brighton have picked carefully for him um, because Brighton's work with their younger players is generally spot on. Um, Taylor Richards is another one. Uh, they signed him from Manchester City, um, and then they've loaned him out to Doncaster Rovers this year, um, where he's doing well uh, under Darren Moore, the, the ex West Bromwich Albion manager. Um, I think he won the man of the match against Blackpool the other night, actually. Um, but Longman, um, he, he's he, he's played on the wing um, at under 18 and under 23 level, but he's also played through the middle. Um, and at the moment, he's playing sort of uh, centre forward, second fiddle to, to Joe Piggott at Wimbledon, at AFC Wimbledon, who um, are... Uh, an interesting team. I wouldn't say they're excellent, but they're an interesting team. Um, but with, with Longman, um, you know, he tends to have quite good shot locations, which I think is very good for sort of a first taste of, of league football. You know, there'd be the temptation to to panic a little bit, maybe shoot from uh, from areas where he, he, he wouldn't be best placed to, to score a goal, but he's done very well. Um, I think he's got three goals um, so far, uh, and and the 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 numbers we, we discussed for for KLP and for for the likes of Reece Staunton and, and Harry Pickering, you know, again we use them as an indicator. And for Longman, I'd say that you know his 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 combined expected goals and expected assists per ninety this season uh, comes to a very nice round zero point five per ninety, which means um you know over a 46 game season uh in league one that will be 23 goal contributions which you know split somewhere like 16 goals and eight assists um so i think you know to be posting those numbers after sort of 12 appearances in 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 league football for the first time is 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 only encouraging um and i think the fact that he was one of the better players in in brighton's under 23 setup despite being uh, only 19 20 um was 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 something that you know, you could perhaps see him doing well at, at this level. Um, but for me, it's just, it's good that he takes a lot of shots inside the box, gets plenty of touches inside the box, uh, which is obviously contributing to those good shot locations. Um, and he's quite tenacious as well. You know, he's not, he's not the biggest character, um, but he's pretty good at win the, winning the ball back. Um, quite energetic. Uh, and, and you know, a, a, as bad as a cliche it is, he's, he's, a, he's a good team player. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I don't know if you've, you've seen much of Longman um, this year, Lee, or, or whether anything sort of cropped up in, in the numbers for you. I've seen bits and pieces of him, but to be fair, I think that 
one of my favourite things each year at the moment is to look at the Brighton loan list and then just to follow the players that they have gone out on loan. I mean, we could have picked the likes of Leo Ostegaard for this podcast, who I know that you've spoken about previously in a podcast looking specifically at Norwegian players. Brighton have got such a good group of young players within their squad and within their entire system that they're obviously doing something extremely well in terms of their recruitment. And again, they use analytics, they use data. Everyone knows Tony Bloom, the, the owner, is famous for having his betting consultancy in business the same way that Matthew Benham is at, at Brentford and at Midgetland. So, so Brighton are doing the same things, using the same kind of metrics, the same kind of numbers, if you like, to, to identify young players to sign. And then what they've done, and you, you touched upon it almost perfectly there, you touched upon the fact that They've looked at AFC Wimbledon as the right club to send a player like Longman to to further his development. AFC Wimbledon are really, really good in terms of their own youth development. They they give first you know, team opportunities to young players that come through their own system. They, they develop them well. They develop good footballers. And they also play a system that kind of mirrors that that Graham Potter does to a point. You can never get tactical system because of different tactical concepts that coaches have that are exact mirrors but they play a 3-5-2 in the same way that Brighton tend to. So you know that Longman's going to get exposure to playing as one of a front two, so he'll understand the kind of movements and the kind of pockets of space that he'll have available to him. I think that it's a really clever loan move, both for the player and the club, because the player needed first-team minutes and needed that exposure to men's football. I really like the fact that you touched upon the fact that he's got a little bit of aggression about him as well. I think, again, that's something that, players that come through youth academies and the academy system within football at the moment sometimes are missing. They're sometimes a little bit too nice. Sometimes they need to have that bit of the bastard about them, if you like. He's got mm. to have a willingness to, I mean, look at Neil Mopai for, for Brighton. That, that perfectly encompasses what Mopai is as a striker. He's somebody who has that aggressive, mean streak. He's willing to put his elbow into the centre-half of the centre-half's given by pushing. The same thing Longman will have to learn, and he has got that about him. I think that as a player, he's looking really interesting. He's really good at mobility. I like the fact that he makes intelligent movements into the penalty area. You can see him when the ball's wide. He's thinking about the angles he runs. He makes a lot of double movements where the defender will think he's going one way, and then he'll quickly accelerate and change direction and try and burst past to get a little bit of separation from the defender. At the moment, everything for Longman and for Brighton is going well at AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, those double movements. I think obviously he'll he'll have learnt a lot of that from from sort of playing on the wings in the in the under eighteen and under twenty three Premier Leagues um, from from his time uh, in the past few seasons with Brighton. Um, but you know he's another one who, as recently as sort of like March, April, May two thousand and nineteen. So what we're talking sixteen, eighteen months ago. You know that was the first time he'd scored his his first goal at Premier League two level. So you know he's another one who who again is not sort of reaching for the stars just yet, but his development from com- coming from being an under eighteen Premier League player or playing at National League North or Southern League uh, level, like some of the players we've we've just discussed, has has really developed and, and that acceler- and accelerated um, in in the past sixteen eighteen months, which isn't a long time at all especially considering you know the break that we've had from, from with, with covid at the end of last season um but yeah he's you know he's, he's played a thousand minutes you know playing second fiddle to piggott this season he's got a good player to learn off someone who's scored plenty of goals in that division um and as you say wimbledon do do very well 
um, in terms of their, their youth development in-house. So I think Longman will be in uh, good hands there. Um, now, Lee, would you like to, to enlighten us over the player, the Mr. M.O., who uh, I was very excited to, to discuss on this podcast? I turned my page and my notes over and suddenly realised who it was you were referencing the last time. Um, we talked earlier on the podcast about Everett Easy and the fact that he's moved from the EFL into the Premier League and the, the player that I picked for my third player is somebody who's very much in the same mould as Easy and that's Michael Olise, the, the French-English attacking midfielder currently at Reading FC. Um, very young still, again, he's only 18 years old but he has really started to, to come into his own this season. He's dominating games in that, that midfield for... For Reading and he's got such an interesting player profile. Similar to Ezzy, he's, he's capable of playing in the wide areas, but I think that his future is either as an 8 or as a 10 in teams that do play with a 10 in their system. Reading this season tend to play a 4-2-3-1, so there's a little bit of flexibility in that 3 behind the lone striker that Elise can play. He can play from the wide spaces, he can play from the central area. And he is so good. We've talked about players finding pockets of space, and that's Elise's game to a tee. He drifts into little pockets of space in the half space, and when he receives the ball, he's incredibly dangerous. He's a, a good dribbler. He's somebody who takes over six dribbles a game. Um, he's, he takes a lot of shots for a player who plays in an attacking midfield zone. He's a, a player who can beat a man with a dribble. He can pick the right pass. He can play little combinations in around the penalty area. At 18... He plays with a maturity and, and uh, almost a, a sense of being much, much older than he is just because he just because Reading are, are given so much responsibility to him when they're in their attacking phase. I think that of all the players that I picked for their list, if I had to say that one of them is going to play at Premier League level, I think it would definitely be Michael Olise. Well, I mean, that's an, that's an endorsement. It has to be said that um, I, I've got a very close friend of mine who who is a Reading fan, um, and and he's he's typically a, a radio journalist. Um, but uh, I managed to persuade him to write a little piece, a, a love letter, if you will, um, about Michael Ulises for the site, and that is that's uh, free to read on on scoutedfootball.com. Um, but I mean, that was uh, he Patrick is his name. He he uh, he informed me of, of Michael Lise uh, to begin with. And, you, you know, sometimes you think, okay, you know, this, this player might be very good. But then I, I started watching him and I thought, oh, no, actually, he is onto something here. Olise yeah. definitely has 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 something that that makes Reading a, a, a whole different animal. Because last season, truth be told, you know, apart from Ovi Ajaria, um, sometimes George Puskas turning on the, on the flare, there wasn't a huge amount to get excited about. Yeah, Reading they picked the results picked up under Mark Bowen, but they weren't overly exciting. Um, and and that's kind of been the story for for a few seasons. Alise definitely books that trend. He is a very very exciting player. Um, and I, I was very glad to see him on your list when when you sent it over because I thought yes, there's there's the the professional opinion is definitely backing up my own uh, my own um, my own thoughts on a player again. Um, so yeah, very very glad to see uh, Alise in that list. And yeah, I think the parallels between himself and Ebri Eze um, that, that are there um, mainly because obviously the the, the self confidence that they have, but also seem to have that humility on the pitch. You know, they don't they, they don't seem to be sort of uh, they don't seem to showboat unnecessarily, which is perhaps a very British thing to say. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, very, very happy with with how 
um, Michael Alisa is getting plenty of time at Reading at the at the top end of the championship as well. Um, Lee, I would. I'm just wondering, would you would you prefer to go with uh, my final pick, or would you prefer to go with your final pick? We should probably go with mine, just because yours is such an outlier, uh, which will make sense to people when we get to them. <laughs> um, I I always had to pick one more player because Harry Pickering was on both our lists, and I've gone back and had a look at this season as a snapshot and picked a player who I hadn't seen play much before this season, but has really really impressed me at Championship level and who I think has got a really intriguing profile. And that's Josh Karoma, the 22-year-old attacking midfielder currently playing for Huddersfield. Um, so far this season, he's over 1,000 minutes, which is obviously a, a better sample size. He's scoring 0.26 goals per game from 0.41 XG, so he's underperforming his XG slightly. He's taking over three shots a game. He's dribbling more than four and a half times per game, and he's getting more than four and a half touches in the opposition box. When I looked, took a snapshot of the data and had a look from the top down, he was somebody who really stood out as having a profile that can translate to the higher level. Now, when you go off and look at the video, you watch him play live for, for those of people who will be able to get back in the stadium sooner rather than later, hopefully, you'll see a player who's able to play anywhere across the pitch. He can play in the wide areas, left or right. He is predominantly right-footed, so he likes to play from the left and cut inside. And he likes to make little pockets of which he can play at the penalty area from there. But he's another one who hasn't had a, a traditional route through the professional game, if you like, to eventually come to Huddersfield. He was originally at Leighton Orient. Um, he signed for Huddersfield in 2019, then spent some time out on loan at Rotherham last season before then coming back to Huddersfield for this season. And it's been this season that I think he's really taken a step forward. He's become a player who Huddersfield, who obviously played really interesting football under Carlos Cobran, the, the former Marcelo Bielsa assistant at Leeds. He, he's starting to play a very similar style of football in terms of verticality, in terms of rotations, in terms of where they overload and isolate and create space for their attacking players to do attacking things. And at the moment, he's a player who, if he can sustain this form throughout the rest of the season, He's another one who I think will be on shortlist throughout the Premier League and probably a few other leagues around Europe as well come the end of the season. Yeah, with Karoma, I mean, he's, he's another player who definitely stood out um, in, in the lists of, of EFL players that you know we had to pick from um, because, yeah, he has done well at Huddersfield and, and I think Corberan is, is, a, is a coach that is certainly going to get the best out of players who are very much up and coming because they're more impressionable, they're more malleable um, and Karoma's definitely one of those. I think, again, it's interesting. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Jordan jarrett Bryan about what makes South London such a, a hotbed of footballing talent and, and um, Karoma is one... Another um, player from from South London, um, and obviously started at, at Leighton Orient, um, as, as many people may know. But yeah, I think uh, he's, he's definitely a, another interesting prospect. And and to me, I don't know whether this is strange for you either, Lee. But on the point of Huddersfield, it still feels strange to me that that Carol Lighting, uh, the Ajax man, is is on loan at Huddersfield. It just seems. Strange. It seems like a football manager signing, but no. I mean, and and to be fair, they are, Huddersfield are playing very good football. I think that Carol Lighting is somebody who I think if Ajax had realised that um, Mohamed Kudus would have such a significant injury early in the season, I don't think they'd have allowed Carol Lighting to go out on loan because I think he would have been in the frame for first team minutes there. He's somebody who I've always thought would be 
a player who did make the breakthrough at first team level with Ajax. So it's, it's a little bit bizarre that he's ended up now at Huddersfield. Yeah, absolutely. And and that would have been very good to see Ajax because then you would have had Ryan Gravenberch and Carol Lighting playing together um, in, in, in the first team, sort of a year after they were so good in the young Ajax um, midfield. So that would have been, again, a perfect example of how Ajax works. Um, but just on to my final EFL pick, our final EFL player. Um, and it's it's perhaps maybe a disservice to, to this player, but it's more a focus on, on the system. Um, that, that's really caught my eye and, and caught Lee's eye this season because uh, the player, the final player that we're going to discuss is, is Andy Fisher, uh, the 22-year-old goalkeeper at MK Dons. Um, and it's because he is a component of Russell Martin's Dons team who, uh, who, who, who are very, very fun, very new, very innovative. Um, and you'll know that if you, if you listen to the Not The Top 20 pod with, with Ali and George. Um, but for anybody who isn't aware, um, Russell Martin, the ex-Norwich defender, is, is the head coach at Stadium MK now. Uh, and what he's done this season, um, quite spectacularly, is, is try to use the 22-year-old uh, keeper, Andy Fisher, uh, as a right-back or a right-centre-back in possession. Um, I mean, I'm just going to let people process that if they have if they aren't aware of it. It does sound ridiculous and it does sound really strange. But if you've seen videos of it, um, you can see how it is intended to work to beat pressure. Um, you know, you create the overload down the right hand side by having Fisher dribble out um, or just simply receiving the ball in that position. Um, you know, you invite the pressure from the opposing team. You play forward, then backwards. To, then to the free center, free center half, and then there's huge space to play forward into, and an overload on the other side of the pitch. So you know, there's, there's it's high risk, obviously. Um, if you give the ball away, then that's going to be disastrous. But it's high reward as well because it helps you beat pressure, um, and and may also help in drawing out a team who uh, who, who intend to sit deep. Um, but yeah, I mean the 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 system is is very strange. It's it's Martin's sort of. Um, it's Martin's sort of little Chris Wilder overlapping centre-backs moment, I think. Um, and th- truth be told, I couldn't actually tell you an awful lot about Andy Fisher, the, the player, um, because there's just not a great deal to go off. And I think you know, he was he was Blackburn's uh, backup goalkeeper uh, at the start of this season and then has has decided he wanted first-team football and, and MK Dons have, have offered him that. Um, and I think, yeah, there's... this the, the there's a lot to say. There's a, there's definitely a lot to watch. There is a video floating about on Twitter um, of of MK Dunn's build up with Fisher in the right back position, which uh, against Sunderland, if you can find it. But yeah, it's very very strange. What have your thoughts been on on this uh, new innovation of the beautiful game, Lee? I love things like this when they appear, no matter where they appear, because they're so interesting. Because it shows somebody who who's looking to solve a problem creatively, and that problem for Russell Martin was that his team were struggling to play out through pressure, as you said. So what he's done is he's realised that he has a tool in Andy Fisher who enables him to do that. Now, this wouldn't work if Andy Fisher couldn't pass. Mm-hmm. There are some there are some goalkeepers who uh, have a reputation for being good with their feet who really aren't good with their feet. They, they might be good at kicking long, they might kick long accurately, but you have to have touch, you have to have the ability to receive the ball properly and to open your hips up and take your first touch in space and be able to buy time for yourself to then play. These are all important things for defensive players when they're receiving the ball under pressure as the ball circulating along the defensive line. Andy Fisher's able to do all those things. And you see, when you look at footage of him, I've, I've looked at quite a lot. Um, it was after the Sunderland game, I first became really aware of this when I was watching the highlights on Quest. Um, 
you saw clearly that Andy Fisher was doing this. It was such an interesting tactical tweak. I went and looked at it properly on Scout, And you see that when he steps out in possession of the ball, what they're looking to do, MK Dons, is either trigger a player from the opposition to then have to move to press the goalkeeper as he steps forward. Or if they don't do that, they trust Andy Fisher to be able to play the pass into the final third or into the midfield. And he's able to play accurate passes vertically that find defeat and break the lines of the opposition. But he's also got that ability to play diagonal passes to find the, the, the isolated player in the far side of the pitch. And it's that ability that makes this work because if Andy Fisher couldn't pass, opposition teams would simply sit back and let him have the ball in that position, knowing that he would, he would chances are he'd make an inaccurate pass that they could then transition from the goalkeeper out of position. But because he's a good passer, they've got to pay attention to that. They've got to they've got to give value to that. So they have to press him and they have to try to prevent him from pressing. And this opens up space elsewhere. Throughout football and history, there have been different points where tactical tweaks like this have happened. You look at the emergence of fullbacks as attacking weapons. You look at ball playing centre-backs. You look at strikers who operate as number 10s, wingers who cut inside and play in the half spaces. All these things are coaches finding answers to specific tactical problems, which is exactly what Russell Martin's done. Whether that will translate well at other clubs remains to be seen, but that's something, for example, that I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Pep Guardiola use at Manchester City with Ederson as the season progresses or into the next season, because he's well known to look at other ideas like that, and that's something that he'll be really interested in. The, the opportunity to have a, a goalkeeper, goalkeeper come out to progress the ball in that manner if they're capable of it, will cause huge problems for the opposition. So real credit to Russell Martin and NK Dons for being brave enough to do this. Yeah, it's definitely bold. It's probably one of the more bold tactical innovations that I've seen in a very long time. I think everyone, everybody was sort of like taken aback when the whole Chris Wilder overlapping centre-backs thing actually arrived on Premier League shores. And even though the fact that he'd been doing that for years prior hadn't yep. received in the EFL, quite fittingly um it, it hadn't received sort of the the plaudits that it did as soon as it it was against the likes of Arsenal Chelsea Man United um and I think if Pep Guardiola does end up using uh, a similar sort of approach to build up I do hope that people will give credit to Russell Martin and, and Andy Fisher um and and perhaps coin you know oh he's doing a Fisher he's, he's dribbling out into the right back space oh bloody hell he's doing a Martin again you know he's not not like the not it shouldn't be credited to Guardiola, obviously. Um, but what I can say for Fisher, though, is, is your point about his passing ability. Um, you know, his long passing is much better than you'd expect a goalkeeper to be. You know, um, and, and to be fair, he's not making that many long passes. Uh, but he, when he does, he's averaging uh, around a fifty percent success rate, and I think that's probably been a big factor in why he specifically has been brought in to MK Dons from Blackburn. If Martin, his idea all along was to intend to use his goalkeeper in build-up in this extremely specific way. Because as you say, if your goalkeeper can't play out, then you know, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail if you want to do this. So yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one, especially with sort of, you know, um the change in the laws of the game where uh, you, you no longer have to um to have to be outside the box. Um maybe seeing more adept goalkeepers with the ball at their feet. Um stepping up and, and being involved in build up, playing those final third passes. Who knows, Lee, it might be uh it might only be a year until we're 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 categorizing goalkeepers based on how many accurate final third balls they play <laughs> for ninety. Maybe but 
Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, that is that is all from us uh, on the Scouted Football Podcast today. It's been a long one, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, myself and Lee have, have picked our, our favourite players, um, not because we think they're the best, although some of them are the best in the EFL at the moment, or at least in the most uh, in the best form. Um, but just players who we think from from sort of a development perspective uh, are definitely interesting to watch. And perhaps, hopefully, for, for people who are listening, um, some names out there that, uh, that that you haven't come across before. You know, the Mr. HP, the, the source that is Harry Pickering at Crewe. Um, uh, who else? Luke Jeffcutt at, at Plymouth, who, who again are having a very good time. Um, uh, Rhys Staunton. Um, I actually forgot to ask Lee, is there any Irish in him? Because I'm getting images of Steve Staunton every time I hear that name. <laughs> I'm not sure. There must be judging by the surname. I'm, I'm fairly sure that given Ireland's tendency to pick players with other, other heads of the with the national team, you might be able to play this. Well, we might see a, another Staunton in the Irish national team uh, soon. Could solve Stephen Kenny's woes of being able to find a player who can create chances um, because uh, they've been having a bit of trouble recently in that regard Um, but yes that's all from us uh, on the Scouted Football Podcast today thank you again to Lee for joining us um, on his uh, third appearance I believe it is on the Scouted Pod Um, but yeah this has been uh, Scouted Football uh, Scouting the EFL with Lee Scott I've been Joe Donoghue thank you for tuning in Um, stay safe take care bye for now